Hi, this is David Flowers, Senior Pastor at Grantham Church, an intergenerational convergent third-way congregation with the Brethren in Christ U.S. and located in Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania. I want to thank you for listening to our podcast and for following the sermons that I and many others preach at Grantham. This is a free podcast and it'll always be that way, but if you'd like to give and help further the work we're doing for the kingdom, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you want to do that, you can do that by going to granthamchurch.org and clicking on the Giving tab. Whether you're a member of our church or you're listening as a parishioner, it's our greatest desire that you would encounter Jesus and be changed by the good news wherever you are. Anyway, God bless you, and I hope you enjoy the podcast. Thank you, Pastor Dave and worship team. Our children invited kids on worship at this time. If you want to do that or you can stay in here with us, that is up to your parents. Meals with Jesus, Discovering God's Blessings Around the Table. That is the series, summer series that we are, we are in, and we're looking at table scenes with Jesus from the Gospel of Luke. We're exploring the blessings that God provides when we experience His radical hospitality and accept His challenge to open our lives to others around the table. Have you given some thought to who you're inviting to the table? Uh, maybe you've already done that. You know, you can do it more than once. It's okay. Throughout this series, we're encouraging you to host a meal uh, in your home or on your back patio. I think it's really important that you share that intimate space with others instead of just going to a restaurant. I mean, that can be good too, but inviting people into your home is, is really what we're encouraging you to do throughout this series. Uh, this is the third week in our series. Discovering Grace was the first week, and we looked at Luke chapter 5, and then last week, Discovering Community, we were in Luke chapter 7, and today we're in Luke chapter 9. If you would go ahead and grab your Bible or your smartphone and open up to Luke chapter 9, uh, where we'll be discovering hope this morning. Discovering hope. Maybe you already picked up on that theme a little bit through what's been shared this morning and through Marissa's prayer. Thank you for that prayer, Marissa. You look in their bulletin, you'll see the sermon focus for this morning. When Jesus asked the crowds of hungry people to sit down in a remote place and for his disciples to feed these people, he was fulfilling a messianic expectation. His actions indicated that he is the one that they've been waiting for and that through a simple meal in the wilderness, he was inviting everyone who would come to celebrate the final victory, uh, before the final victory actually. And so this morning I'll be inviting us to see how God calls his disciples to feast with hope. Or we might say to throw a party in the wilderness. Uh, yesterday, I had the honor and privilege of doing the wedding for Molly and Christian Pavlovich. And uh, some of you may have seen, I posted a picture of that on, on Facebook. And, and so I was sitting at the at a table uh, with a couple members from Grantham and some others that I didn't know so well, one person I didn't know at all. And, um, you know, uh, I, w I was sitting there and we're all kind of interacting. And I'd already seen this one gentleman I didn't know uh, earlier at the ceremony and you know, you know we, we talk a lot here at Grantham about how we need to be aware of the thoughts that we think and the, the stories that we tell ourselves and the judgmental thoughts in particular and I thought of this one guy he doesn't seem very friendly have you ever thought that before 
You know, so about after 10 or 15 minutes of being at the table and engaged in a conversation with this gentleman, he told all of us at the table that last year uh, he had lost his wife to a sudden heart attack in her sleep. And so you can imagine how difficult it was to be at a wedding for this guy. And so Jesus, I want you to think about this, that Jesus calls us to celebrate with hope, even in the midst of pain and sorrow and death and loss. So think about that. Whoever you are, whatever you're going through, like a a wedding banquet, which Melissa will talk about more next week, Jesus invites us to come. To come as you are, to come with your pain, your hurt, your sorrow, and to recognize that the final victory has been won. To see the hope that God gives even in the midst of the present evil age. Amen? Amen. All right, Luke chapter 9, verse 7 through 20. I'm going to start by reading that, and then we'll come back and unpack that verse by verse. Luke chapter 9, beginning with verse 7. When Herod Antipas, the ruler of Galilee, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Others thought Jesus was Elijah or one of the other prophets risen from the dead. I beheaded John, Herod said, so who is this man about whom I hear such stories? And he kept trying to see him. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. Then he slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going, and they followed him. He welcomed them, and he taught them about the kingdom of God, and he healed those who were sick. Late in the afternoon, the twelve disciples came to him and said, Send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. There's nothing to eat here in this remote place. But Jesus said, you feed them. But we have only five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there were about 5,000 men there. And Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and the two fish. He looked up toward heaven and blessed them. And then breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and the fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him, and he asked them, Who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, and others say you're one of the other ancient prophets risen from the dead. And then he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you are the Messiah sent from God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. Let's go back now and begin with verse 7. And I would like to just kind of walk through this with you and, 
and uh, talk about some of the context a little bit. Understand hopefully a little bit more of what we've just read and then we'll make some application and look at some table takeaways from this. Now, Jesus isn't literally at a table in this episode, but he's made a table in the wilderness, amen? And that's what we see happening here. Look at uh, chapter nine, verse seven. When Herod Antipas, who was the ruler of Galilee at that time, heard about everything Jesus was doing, he was puzzled. Now, we can see earlier in this gospel and the other gospels as well that political leaders were really quick to stamp out any kind of popular movements among radicals or certainly those who would claim to be Messiah. So Herod Antipas is very much aware that Jesus is, seems to be at least one of those people. But he was puzzled. Some were saying that John the Baptist had been raised from the dead. Now Herod knows, well that can't be because I beheaded John. He doesn't have a head. So, so he's not been raised from the dead. Others thought it was Elijah. You remember Elijah the prophet in the Old Testament was taken up into heaven. So he didn't die. Maybe he has come back. That was a, a, a tradition that some people believed would happen. Or maybe some other prophet. Uh, the spirit of that prophet is with Jesus. So again, John, uh, Herod says that. I beheaded John. This, so who is this man that I hear such stories about? And, and Herod kept trying to see him. When the apostles returned, they told Jesus everything they had done. When returned from where? Jesus had sent them out on mission to do the things that he had been doing on an itinerary sort of mission, going from town to town, village to village, city to city. And so they returned. Then he slipped quietly away with them. This is retreat time. This is, this is staff retreat with <laughs> Jesus and his apostles. But notice they don't get it. They don't get that time of rest. And Jesus, instead of pushing back on that and saying, no, no, it's time for rest, Jesus is still going to welcome these people. He slipped quietly away with them toward the town of Bethsaida. But the crowds found out where he was going and they followed him. He welcomed them and taught them about the kingdom of God and he healed those who were sick. Uh, before we go into verse 12, check out this map here of the area, the region, the Sea of Galilee. You see a bird's eye view of this. Off to your left there, you see in the more populated side of the Sea of Galilee, Tiberias is where Herod Antipas would have his palace. Capernaum, you see that at the top. That would have been Jesus' hub of ministry. So a lot of coming and going from there, that fishing uh, town. And Bethsaida, you can see this is where they were on the way to, and they were on the desolate side of the Sea of Galilee, where there's not many, not many folks, not many people. This is where Jesus can perform this miracle. This is also in Luke's gospel, before the feeding of the 5,000, where Jesus casts out legion. If some of you are here with us with Sasha, uh, the, the Russian seminary president, you remember he preached a message, let's go on to the other side. And this was the other side that Jesus was trying to retreat to with his disciples. But the people followed him. Yet Jesus doesn't turn them away. So according to Luke, this is where Jesus performs this great miracle on this remote side of the sea. 
Let's go back to verse 12. Late in the afternoon, the 12 disciples came to him and said, Jesus, send the crowds away to the nearby villages and farms so they can find food and lodging for the night. They won't be long. The sun's going to go down. We're all going to be stuck out here with nothing to eat. So send them away. So I really think the disciples here are trying to do what's best. You know, if you read like Mark's gospel, Mark seems to be kind of hard on the disciples. They seem stubborn. They seem clueless. They seem obstinate a lot of the times. But here in Luke's gospel, I think really the the picture is they are simply thinking about the people. This doesn't seem like a good idea. But Jesus has other plans. Amen. (laughs) There's nothing here to eat, they say, in this remote place. Uh, It could be translated like wilderness or desert. Now, when you're reading the Gospels, a lot of times the Old Testament is informing the Gospel writers. They want to show us how Jesus is fulfilling things from the Old Testament. So you, you have mountains, that Jesus will go up on a mountain, and then you think about Moses up on a mountain. In this case, wilderness, desert, like the temptations. Here we have a desert or wilderness again. What happened? What big event happened in the wilderness in the Old Testament? Right? The Exodus. The Exodus, where God provides them with what? Manna to eat. So now Jesus knows what he's doing here. <laughs> Jesus always knows what he's doing, right? So Jesus says, you feed them. But we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And Matthew tells us that they, they got this from a, a little boy that was there. They were, they were going around looking for food. That was all they could find that was close to them. Are you expecting us to go and buy enough food for this whole crowd? For there are about 5,000 men. And they only counted them in here. There's probably a whole lot more women and children. Jesus replied, tell them to sit down in groups of about 50 each. We don't know why Jesus chose that number. There's some speculation about that, but no matter. Verse 15 So the people all sat down. Jesus took the five loaves and two fish, looked up toward heaven, and he blessed them. And then in breaking the loaves into pieces, he kept giving the bread and fish to the disciples so they could distribute it to the people. So it's as if, you know, it's it's like Jesus, remember Mary Poppins, (laughs) reaching in to the bag, in this case a basket, and keeps pulling out the bread and the fish. And it never ends until everyone has eaten and then there is enough left over. There's a a great message in this, right? That Jesus sees himself as the Lord of heaven providing manna for the people in the wilderness. Despite their poverty, despite the oppression of empire, despite the spiritual darkness in the land, Jesus is enacting not just any kind of miracle, but one that says something about who he is and what he has come to do. He harkens us back to Luke chapter 4, same gospel, when Jesus goes into Nazareth and reads from the scroll of Isaiah, our chapter 61. And he stops in the middle of a verse. Doesn't read the part about vengeance, but stops in the middle of a verse about jubilee about setting captives free, about healing the sick, causing the blind to see. Jesus has come to invite us into that ministry, invite us into the kingdom age right here in the middle of the present evil age to call us to hope.
Look at that, verse 17. They all ate as much as they wanted, and afterward the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftovers. We'll come back to that in just a minute. Notice where the passage, where we started reading in verse 7, started. It started with the question of identity. Who is Jesus? Now we're back to that question. This time we get an answer. One day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone. Only his disciples were with him. Uh, the gospel writer tells us this is in uh, Caesarea Philippi, which is on the border of the in Gentile territory. Jesus asked them, who do people say that I am? And they replied, just like you heard with Herod Antipas, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah. Jesus says, who do you say that I am? I can just imagine hearing like a pin drop, right? You could hear a pin drop. Everything goes quiet. What are they going to say? Peter says it. You are the Christ. You are the Messiah. You are the anointed one. The one promised by God. But not just any king, not just any prophet. The one promised by God to deliver us. And Jesus, of course, in another gospel, tell us, the gospel of Matthew to be specific, that the Holy Spirit has revealed this to Peter. So think about that. Jesus is the Messiah. He is the promised one. Look what Isaiah the prophet said in Isaiah chapter 25, verse 6 through 9. This passage comes to mind as we read this episode in Luke. In Jerusalem, the Lord of heaven's armies will spread a wonderful feast for all the people of the world. It will be a delicious banquet with clear, well-aged wine and choice meat. There he will remove the cloud of gloom, the shadow of death that hangs over the earth. In verse 8, he will swallow up death forever. The sovereign Lord will wipe away all tears. We get lots of allusions in the book of Revelation from the prophets. Here's one of them, right? A time when there will be no more crying, no more dying. He will remove forever all insults and mockery against his land and people. The Lord has spoken. Verse 9, in that day the people will proclaim, this is our God. We trusted in him and he saved us. This is the Lord in whom we trusted. Let us rejoice in the salvation that he brings. And so in Luke chapter 9, we see a party in the wilderness and Jesus is the host. Look at this picture. I like this canvas print of Jesus feeding the 5,000. I tried to find out who the artist was, but I, I, I couldn't. So I'm sorry about that. But look at this painting. Notice the joy. Notice the diversity, the color, the life that's depicted in this painting. What do you see? How does it make you feel? Do you hear Jesus inviting you into this scene to discover his hope? Now listen to what Tim Chester writes in his book, the book that inspired this series. He says, In this desolate place, 
as a group of needy people gather together and share food with Jesus at the center and with Jesus as the provider, Jehovah Jireh, right? We see God's coming world glimpsed right here, right now. When your church family gathers together as a group of needy people and shares food with Jesus at the center and with Jesus as the provider, you glimpse God's coming world right here and right now. And Chester continues, he says, the Christian community is the beginning and sign of God's coming world. And and no more so than when we eat together. Think about this. Our meals are a foretaste of the future messianic banquet. Our meals reveal the identity of Jesus. Our meals are a proclamation and demonstration of God's good news. Finally, here are some table takeaways to this message based on Luke chapter 9. And maybe you saw some of these in the passage as we read it. The first one is this. You certainly need to get this one. Number one, Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of the living God. Folks, there is no one else that's coming to save us. No politician, no president that we could elect, nobody else. It's Jesus. Jesus is still the answer for the world today. I grew up singing that song. Maybe you did too. It's still true. Luke wants us to know that. There's no other way to follow. Jesus said, I myself, he was emphatic about that in the original language, I myself am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You want to know what God is like. You want to come to God. You want to receive his salvation. You want to party in the wilderness. You want to discover hope. And all of these great things, discover God's grace and love and meaning and purpose, a reason to go on, it is through Jesus and no other. As Jesus told Peter, it's the Spirit of God that reveals this to a person. It's still the Spirit of God that reveals this to us today. And sometimes, you know, we need to hear what Jesus told Nicodemus. If you want to see the kingdom of God at work, If you want to see tangible expressions and signs of hope, we need to be born again. And we need to keep being born again every day. Welcoming and accepting Jesus into our heart and life isn't just a one-time event, is it? It's every day. It's every moment, especially in the dark moments. So we've come into worship to confess this cosmic truth and to be shaped by every Sunday. Every Sunday, we come and are reminded of the message of the gospel, and we say, I choose to believe it. As opposed to all of the other narratives, all the other stories, we come, we're reminded with the people of God what we believe and why we believe it. And when there are days that that we doubt it, right, or we don't understand it, or we question all of it, we are assured that we can still come into worship as we are. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. You can still come as you are. Come to the table with your true self, with a hope that we might be changed through our honesty, our vulnerability, and our submission to the Holy Spirit. One more time. And that God would surprise us with his grace and with his joy and with his hope. Come as you are. That's what Jesus says. Another table takeaway, number two, when Jesus is recognized as Lord and provider, 
and certainly some of them saw this, even if it was after the fact, reflecting on the feeding of the 5,000, we will see, as the disciples did, that we have enough. You know, we operate in a culture of scarcity. You heard that? Not, not a thinking of abundance. But Jesus calls us to that, that we do have enough. Right? Based on Luke chapter 9, we need a theology of leftovers. <laughs> We can have a faith, if we'll ask for it, that believes that God can do a lot with the little that we have, whether it's our money or food or time or energy. We're always operating, right? I don't have enough. I don't have enough. But Jesus calls us to recognize that we do have enough. Even if it's just five loaves and two fish, will we give that much to Jesus and watch him multiply it? God can do a lot with the little that we have, right? And he'll provide enough for us to bless others through the blessings that we receive, but we got to be willing to give and to sacrifice, give over control to the little bit that we do have. Amen. We need to believe that God can do what seems to be impossible. He can make a way when there seems to be no way. Another song I grew up singing. He will make a way when there seems to be no way. If we'll trust him. If we'll be willing to ask, Father, I don't have much, but what I do have, will you take it? Will you multiply it? Here's all I've got. What can you do with it, Jesus? Well, he can do a lot if we'll trust him. Remember the God who created the universe out of nothing is able to cause a big bang in your life, right? He's able to bring about light and life and meaning to your existence if you'll surrender to him this morning. I think we're reminded of that in this table scene. Number three, and I really like this one, and somebody really needs to hear this. Despite the brokenness, despite the disparities and the injustices of our day, Jesus calls us to feast with the hope of the gospel. Folks, we need to hear this. Friends, if you, you care about all of the pain and the heartache, the sickness, the violence, the war, and the death in the world, then you might think, why celebrate? What is there to celebrate? And then I would say to you and to all of us, do you care more than Jesus about those things? Do you care more than Jesus? For Jesus cares about all of those things, and yet he calls us to feast with hope. In fact, he wants us to do that so the world will see that there is hope. Just as I tried to communicate to this man at the wedding yesterday, I'm so sorry for your loss. I even made it a point to find him before I left the wedding and say, I am praying for you for God's peace, comfort, meaning, and hope in your life. A tangible expression, right, of God's love and hope. That's what people need. And people can see it, and people can experience it in the table when we invite folks to the table and see it, not just as some ordinary meal where we sit and have ordinary conversation and eat ordinary food, but we see it through eternal lenses. We see it through gospel lenses. We see it as an opportunity to express hope in a tangible way. 
to do so while living in the wilderness as we wait on that final victory. That's because our belief in Christ and the gospel changes everything, doesn't it? I mean, it changes everything. Now, we are human. We live in a broken world, and, still, and so pain and loss, it hurts. We still cry. We still grieve. We still feel very much the brokenness of the world. But folks, the gospel has changed even the way that we experience those things. Paul told us, we don't grieve as those who don't have hope, but yet with those who do. Because Jesus lived and he died and he was raised from the dead. Right? He tells us that on the other side of death is life. Even though you die, yet shall you live. <laughs> Let us come into that, right? And Paul said in Romans 8, as I reminded us in the email this past week, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. Nor heights, nor depths, nor powers or principalities, no, no, no economic situation, no war, nothing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. And because of this, we can know the hope that Jesus gives. Amen. Amen. The fourth table takeaway. When Jesus is at the table, every meal shared with others is an opportunity to discover the hope that he gives. Think about this. The food that you eat becomes a symbol of God's salvation, of God's provision and hope in the gospel. It's an expression of our dependence upon God. It's manna from heaven, if you will. And it's also an expression of our need for each other, that we don't eat alone. Now, I do admit sometimes eating alone might be nice if you need a break, especially from your children. I was in Kansas, as you know, at General Assembly, and uh, Lane Lebo was driving the car, and he wanted to go meet with somebody. I said, that's fine, just drop me off at Red Lobster. And I ate a pound of crab legs, all to myself. <laughs> it's funny, the people over the table next to me was like, he's been working on that for 20 minutes. He hasn't eaten a bite. I'm like, but you don't know how good this is going to be. A little butter on top. I know that can be heavenly, but folks, we shouldn't make a habit of eating alone. Jesus calls us into community. Jesus calls us to experience his presence through people. You need a tangible sign and, and, and experience of God's hope. Don't live in isolation. You're not going to get it through doom scrolling. A meme might inspire you for two seconds. But being with people will change you. That's often how God wants to touch you, to heal you, to speak to you, and through you. And it's what God has called us to as his people. So think about that. And in a way, each meal is reflective, if you think about it, the Eucharist, right? Communion, the Lord's Supper, where we give thanks. That's what Eucharist means, to give thanks for what God has done, is doing, and will do for those who put their hope in Christ which has been why we say grace before each meal, to recognize that. And hopefully you don't have an Aunt Bethany who says the Pledge of Allegiance, as we said last week, the Christmas vacation. When you begin to see your meals and others in this way, you'll begin to experience Christ 
in a new way, the gospel in a new way. And then lastly, look at number five, our last table takeaway. Jesus welcomes everyone to the table to experience his salvation, and so his followers must do the same. Notice that when all of these people are coming, Jesus just welcomes them all, doesn't he? He doesn't discriminate. He doesn't tell people, go get your life in order, go wash up, go clean up, and then you can come to the table. He doesn't say that. And folks, this is challenging to all of us, right? But this is true. He doesn't ask his disciples to police the table. And so we'll hear Jesus say elsewhere, we're to invite those who might not be first on our list to invite. That might be something to consider. It may not always be the case, but as you're thinking about who to invite to the table, it might not be the first person that pops in your head that you should invite. Talk to the Lord about that. Jesus often invites those who are the least of these, those that have been forgotten. And don't worry, there's room at the table for all who will come as we see. Even if you have to meet outside, Jesus Jesus accommodates that. You know, the church I grew up in back in Texas, we we had a, a painting in the hallway outside the sanctuary that communicated this idea. And I remember as a kid looking at this painting and it was quite mesmerizing. Look at this painting here. A never ending table. It, you know, it reminds me, my, my grandmother had this garden tub in her house and it had mirrors and all sides. You look in that, it's like, oh my goodness, you see multiples of yourself and all of it just never ends. And the ta- this table is like that. No end to this table. This is Jesus' table. And this is Jesus' table that we celebrate here at Grantham Church. Brothers and sisters, there's room at the table for you. The founder of the feast says, Come. He will save you. He will deliver you. He will feed you and provide for you. And through his grace and his radical hospitality, he wants to bless others through you if you will come. You see, he wants us to open up our hearts, open up our homes, and in the company of family, friends, neighbors, and strangers, discover hope at his table. In closing, here are some questions for reflection and response. Think about these. Number one, how does this table story in Luke 9, 7 through 20 speak to you? What jumps out at you in this passage? And as I challenged you last week, put yourself into this story. Imagine the way Jesus saw this. Imagine how his disciples saw this, and maybe you can relate to that, right? There's not enough. Send them away. Or maybe you're one of those folks in the crowd who's hungry, who's hurting, who's desperate, who needs hope. How is the Spirit speaking to you? And then number two, how is the Spirit inviting you to respond? As the Lord speaks to you this morning, I pray that you will respond with faith. Folks, just give him whatever you've got. And I promise you, you will not be disappointed. Amen.
Amen. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning that your table is never ending. (laughs) That there's room at the table for all of us. Lord, and despite you having had a long day yourself and wanting to retreat, you took the time to bless this multitude of people. And Lord, sometimes we feel like we have no more energy and we have nothing left. And then you remind us of what we can do through you, through Christ who gives us strength. Somebody needs to hear that this morning. Lord, would you bless them, fill them with your Holy Spirit. You tell us that there is enough. There's enough time, there's enough money, there's enough energy, there's enough room at the table. May we sense that in a very real, tangible way this morning, Lord, as we prepare our hearts now for communion. As we take the bread and the cup, may we ingest hope. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit that we pray. Amen.